You're listening to a sermon from New City Fellowship in Manassas, Virginia. New City Fellowship is a diverse community that proclaims the gospel and makes disciples for the glory of God and the renewal of our city. For more information, visit newcityfellowship.net. Philippians chapter 1, verses 1 through 11. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi with the overseers and deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you, all making my prayer with joy. Because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Christ Jesus. It is right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart. For you are all partakers with me of grace both in my imprisonment and in my defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness, how I yearn for, all, for you all with the affections of Christ Jesus. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment, so that you may approve what is excellent and so be sh- pure and blameless for the day of Christ filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory of God. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Got it on the last one there. Thank you so much, uh, Pastor Will. Um, What a joy uh, to be here with you this morning. Um, To bring the word to you this morning as as well. Um, Man, I'll tell you what, New City Fellowship, thank you so much for your hospitality this morning. Thank you for your smiling faces as we walk through the door. Thank you for your greeting and for your warm welcome. uh, And also for your desire for ongoing partnership in the gospel. So exciting. We're also really excited about future potlucks in the gospel. Um, This guy can cook some barbecue. Okay, yeah, yeah, I've been following him on Facebook, just drooling all over my phone. Um, So look forward to some of those as well. Uh, Hey, also, thank you for all of your prayers. Your faithful prayers, even from uh, the beginning, with your desire for a like-minded church to be planted in Warrington even that does confession and assurance and pardon. That's not Catholic. Hey, right? Um, So like-minded church getting planted uh, in Warrington. We uh, feel like we are the fruit of those prayers. We have seen God go before us in some amazing ways, provided for us in some incredible ways that, that only end in the praise and glory of God. Uh, He's going before us. He has gone before us. Um, He's going with us, and we pray that he would be with Veritas Church with a long-lasting legacy even long after we're gone in Warrington, Virginia. Uh, But hey, here and now in the beginning, uh, 
We're actually planning in two weeks, okay? So September 12th, uh, not next week. We really don't know the following, and we are looking for partners in the gospel. And so I, I really don't know any better passage to preach on uh, than Philippians chapter 1, verses 1 through 11. You see, Paul wrote a letter to his partners in the gospel, the Philippian church. They had partnered with him from the first day, even to the point of him writing this letter to them. They were still faithful in their partnership to him. Faithful. And Paul writes to them, thanking them and also exposing, I think, our need to remember that we need gospel partners to do the work of the Lord. Uh, and that we also desperately need his grace at work in us <laughs> to do the work of the Lord. And so that's my prayer for both churches this morning, that we would not only get excited about what we get to be a part of and what God is doing, and, and that we get to partner together in the gospel, uh, but also that we are reminded that it's really ultimately God's work of grace in and through us. Uh, so y'all already found the book of Philippians. Did you have a hard time finding it? Um, it's in the New Testament. For those of you that were like, I, I couldn't find it during the reading. Uh, one of the things you can always remember is uh, the acronym Go Eat Popcorn. Does anyone know that? Anybody know the Go Eat Popcorn? Okay, we got one, two. All right, okay. Go Eat Popcorn, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. I didn't even learn that in seminary. I learned that from my wife. <laughs> Go Eat Popcorn, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. That's good right there, right? Uh-huh, yeah, y'all need to write that down. Hey, uh, <laughs> since you're already uh, there, go ahead and... Sit back and eat your popcorn for a minute. Let me, let, let me uh, explain the context even a little greater. Yes, it's Paul writing a letter to the church in Philippi, but there's one important fact we should know. Paul prison is writing this letter from prison. From prison. Why is he in prison? Well, let, let's share a little bit more about Paul's story just in case anybody doesn't, doesn't know the guy. Yeah, Paul actually... <laughs> used to be called Saul, and he actually used to be a Pharisee and a persecutor of the church of God. Until Acts chapter 9, if you remember, he comes face to face with the living Christ, the resurrected king, and then everything changes. He was going to Damascus to kill Christians. He was a persecutor of the church, but after he met Jesus, he went from church persecutor to church planter. Amazing work of God. We should be praying for that very specifically, even in our country today, in places of terrible persecution, even in Afghanistan. Pray that the Lord would do a very similar thing to take uh, th this guy, this bad dude, Paul, who persecuted churches and turned him into a church planter. Oh my gosh, Paul, he went on some missionary journeys. He, he would go on foot. He would go by boat. He was going town to town, city to, to city. And, and he was sharing the gospel, and he was planting churches, one of which was in the city of Philippi. And so he's writing a letter to people that he knows. He's writing a letter now from prison. Why is he in prison? For preaching the gospel. For declaring that there was some greater king 
than Caesar. He gets arrested, thrown in prison, and guess what? The Philippian church is still right there with him. All the letters that he writes uh, from prison, we call his, guess what? Prison epistles. That's clever, isn't it? But see, the church at Philippi, imagine being them. Imagine being them. Man, they were, they were terrified. They were, they were starting to get nervous. Walk about, how's this going to affect the spread of the gospel? How's this going to affect God's mission? All the things that we pray about, talk about, how, how's it going to affect that? And, and what about these uh, persecutors? I mean, what, what happens if they don't like our message? What if we keep preaching a message that they don't like? What if we get thrown into prison? Man, this sort of panic from within the church actually started causing them to fight with one another. Uh, you know, the fear and panic from outside the church somehow found its way inside the church and was breaking up the unity among the church. That sounds kind of familiar. They're allowing the chaos around them to break up the unity among them. So Paul writes them this letter. He wrote them to assure them that, that he was not even afraid of death. <laughs> even if this imprisonment led to death, he wasn't even afraid of death. For to live is Christ. And to die, it's gain. And he wrote them to call them back to unity in Christ. Christ is not divided. Come, be united, be of one mind, fighting not with each other, but side by side for the faith of the gospel. And he called them to rejoice because the gospel was still going forth. Even though Paul was in chains, the gospel was not. So he writes them this letter, calling them to fix their eyes upon Jesus, the author and perfecter of their faith. And if they could do that, they would survive all persecution and opposition. They would be able to fight side by side for the faith of the gospel. And man, may that be our prayer as well, that we would fight hard, not with one another, but with each other for the faith. Uh, that's kind of an overview of the entire book, but we're just in verses 1 through 11. And the first thing that we see in these first 11 verses is our need for partners in the gospel. Our need for partners in the gospel. You see, we often think that Paul, he's just some uh, super apostle out there going town to town, lone ranger, gunslinger, solo superhero, now, he's, he's much less like uh, Superman, more like Batman, not because he was rich, but because he had a sidekick, okay? He always had somebody with him. You see, the American church has been far too individualistic about our faith for far too long. We don't think we need anybody. But we don't get out of the first two verses with Philippians without seeing that Paul himself did not do ministry alone. Look at there in verses 1 and 2. Paul and Timothy. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ, King Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi with the overseers, elders, and deacons. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul and Timothy. You see, the letters written by Paul and many scholars say, uh, likely, Timothy was just writing down what he was saying. Uh, you see, this is that ancient form of talk to text, but without those errors. Uh, Paul is dictating to Timothy, Timothy uh, penning the letter. 
See, Paul's not doing ministry alone. He's not even writing the letter alone. The Philippians, therefore, cannot begin to be divided and just live their own Christian walk alone. This letter is not written to an individual. This letter is written to a local church filled full of people. Do you see that? To the saints, the overseers, the deacons, all in the plural. All of these titles in the plural, even Paul and Timothy together, servants of Christ Jesus, we need one another. They're all working together with one another, partnering for the gospel. So church, churches, <laughs> brothers and sisters, we need one another in our walk with Jesus. Head, uh, we, we can't claim to be uh, joined to Christ, the head, and yet be severed from his body which is the church. You see, Paul was not writing uh, to an individual. He's writing to a, an entire local church. And he was not writing to a bunch of random people either. These are people that he, that he knew. And boy, was Paul grateful for them. He, he could remember names. He could remember faces. And, 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 and all of his remembrance of them, boy, was he grateful for them. He, he loved them dearly. They had been the only church that had supported him in his missionary journey, even from the first day, even to the day now that he's in prison. Imagine people like that, that partner with you, not only from the very beginning, but even to your lowest and darkest place in your life. Still with you. Still side by side with you. Paul says in verse 3, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you. Always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy. Why? Because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Why does Paul say that he, that he thanks God with joy? It says in verse 5, because of the Philippians' partnership in the gospel. Okay, well, what, what does that even look like? What does partnership in the gospel look like? Well, of course, from the beginning, they helped fund financially uh, his missionary journey, but even now that he's in prison, you know what they did? This is an amazing thing. You can read it later in the letter. Uh, they send their pastor with a care package. Uh, his name is Epaphroditus. They send him with a care package to go and minister to Paul while he's in prison. A care package, yeah, probably financial things, but other things that he needs as well. And they send a pastor to go minister to him and encourage him and pray with him and for him, to meet with him. The gospel, man, that's what partnership in the gospel looks like with Paul and the Philippian church. Paul then sends Epaphroditus back to Philippi with this letter that you're reading. And in the letter, he actually calls Epaphroditus his fellow soldier. What a great title to give a fellow minister in the gospel. It would have meant a lot to him. Did, did you know that Philippi was actually a retirement community for Roman soldiers? Now, if you remember from even like Acts 16, you can see when the church of Philippi began, there was Lydia. She's a rich businesswoman. There was also a slave girl. This was their core team. <laughs> a rich businesswoman, a slave girl, some economic different classes there. And... A soldier, 
and other, in Philippi, retired soldiers of Rome. And Paul calls Epaphroditus his fellow soldier in the faith who's helping spread the gospel to the ends of the earth, who has allegiance ultimately, not to Caesar, but to King Jesus. Paul's writing this letter not to a bunch of random Christians, but to his fellow partners and comrades in the faith. So here's the question that we need to ask ourselves. What does your partnership look like? What does our partnership in the gospel look like? Maybe first ask it for yourself before the collective. What does your partnership look like? Well, the word for partnership is koinonia in Greek. So exactly what does that word entail? Well, the semantic range of the word koinonia uh, is fellowship. Fellowship in the gospel. Okay? Or even sharing in the gospel. It has some connotation of sharing even very intimately, communion in even gospel, participation in the gospel, or even, I, I really do like the word partnership, even if you might have a different translation in your Bible, partnership, because it really entails all of it. We're in partnership together. We fellowship together. We share in the mission together. We commune with one another. We participate in the mission and in Christ together. That is our partnership in the gospel. So, again, what does your partnership in the gospel look like? Because, you know, sometimes we confuse church membership with like a membership from Costco. Right? But there's, there, there's a difference between the two. I mean, I used to have a membership at Costco. Can you tell? Uh, I had a membership in Costco. I shopped there. Got what I need there. Went to the uh, butcher place back there. Got some thick cut steaks there. But that's all I did there. I mean, I shopped there. I went and I got what I needed there. And after I got what I needed there, put it in my cart. They don't bag it there. But then I take it home. <laughs> but here's the thing. I, I, that's what I do. I shop there. I, I don't work there. I don't mop the floors there. I don't stock the shelves there. I don't fellowship there unless talking with the people that hand out the free samples. <laughs> if that's fellowship, then I guess I, I do that there. But Costco membership is not the same as church membership. No, church membership is gospel partnership. It's koinonia. I don't just get what I need here, though that's true. I desperately need what my church has to offer. But I also work here. And this is not just for pastors. But this is koinonia. This is even for the Philippians. All of you. Partners in the gospel. Me work here. I serve here. I fellowship here. People know me here. I know people here. I, I, I share in the ministry here. I fellowship here. I commune here. I'm all in partnership and participation right here. These, brothers and sisters, look around. These, my fellow soldiers, family, comrades in the faith. And now, 
of New City Fellowship and Veritas Church, we get to partner in the gospel together. In Northern Virginia, when you zoom out on that map with all those little dots, our two dots are pretty close together. We get to preach the gospel here. We get to make disciples here. We get to plant other churches here by God's grace. You get to rely on one another's partnership in the gospel. Man, Paul here not only models doing ministry together, but he emphasizes our need for it as well. Church, we need partners in the gospel because we are all, <laughs> okay, we need partners in the gospel. That's true. God has called us to do a great work. Us in Warrington, you here in Manassas. But I'll tell you this right now. The thing that we ultimately need, one another and the grace of God. The grace of God to abound in our lives and in our churches. We need God's grace and his favor to be, to be poured out on us and be at work in us, not just in me, but, but in you. And in us together, we, we are all partakers of his divine grace. And that's why we're here this morning. When we look around, not, not just at other churches, but even those that you can see from your own church, we're kind of mixed up here this morning. I hope you see your brothers and your sisters and your partners. God for this school. And, and I pray you give thanks for them. With joy to God for them. We, we can start by thanking the, the, the children's ministry. But thank God for the hospitality ministry. Those are good donuts. Thank God for those who came early and set up all the chairs, who laid out communion, who led us in worship. Those who are working by us side by side, week in and week out. Thank God for them, right? Brothers and sisters who minister to you, not only in these sorts of things, but speak the word of God to you over and over from the first day until now in your worst day, they are still there with you. That is the grace of God through them, and to you. Thank God for them. Church, that's, that, that, that's our only hope, is that the grace and the work that God has begun in us, he will continue to do and will bring to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. And that's verse six. I am sure of this, Paul says. I am sure of this. That he who began a good work in you, he will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. And it is right for me to feel this way about you all. Because I hold you in my heart. For you are all partakers with me of grace. I've seen his grace at work in your life. I've seen his grace come through you and to me. It is right that I feel this way about you. For you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and, when, when things are looking like they're going bad, and in the defense and the confirmation of the gospel. See, Paul says he began a good work in you, indicating that the work's not done. And all God's people said, amen. It would benefit all of us to know that. He's not done. Okay. Uh, the grace doesn't just save you. It does that. Saves us from uh, the penalty of our sin. That's our justification. But that grace keeps on working. 
That salvation keeps on going. Saves us even from the power of sin over our life, changing us day by day more into the image of Jesus from one degree of glory to the next. That's what his grace does in us. That's our sanctification. And you know what? It, <laughs> if God is going to take you and me and make us look more like Jesus, that's going to take a lot of grace. Look at your neighbor and say, you're going to need a lot of grace. Now, don't take that. You tell them right back. Say, amen, you too. Yeah, you too. He's not done with you yet. <laughs> it's a good thing God has a lot of grace to give. Again, not just grace that will forgive us of our sin. Amen, he does that. But grace that will continue to change us, transform us more into the image of his son. And his grace, it, uh, and his work of grace, it takes time. God is patient, though, and he's a master carpenter. He takes his time. And he's begun a good work in you. But he's not done yet. God's still working on you. He's working on us uh, individually, even all the way to the point of the return of Christ. When Jesus comes back, that, that is what the day of completion is, when it's all done and Jesus returns and makes all things new. But you see, our sanctification is not just individual. It's also corporate. Yeah, he's changing us collectively. Jesus has only one bride, the church. And she is universally being sanctified. Generation, generation, globally being sanctified. God is doing a global work, both of salvation and sanctification. Life, but not. Have you ever thought about that before? The fact that God is, yes, of course, at work in your life, but not just in your life, but in the lives of all those around you. He's in life, at work in the life of our church corporately. But also not just our church, but globally, generationally. That good work that God began to do in the church at Philippi, guess what? The Philippian church, they died a long time ago. And that was before the day of completion. Jesus didn't come back. You see, they might have died, but the church, universally, still here. God is still doing a work through and in his church. And it's important for us to see, so, so that, that way when we look back on church history, um, we extend some grace. Have y'all ever studied some church history and just been like, man, what were y'all doing back then? Right? Like, wow. Look at all the sin in which you were committed or, or the sin in which you were complicit or the sin for which you were complacent. Where was the church of God then? What were you doing? What were you thinking? But that, God's grace, though, can continue to abound generation to generation even here. And guess what, church? His work's not done. 500 years ago, the Reformation, God was uh, working on his church, reforming and conforming us more to the image of his son. Even 200 years ago, through a guy like William Wilberforce, 
60 years ago through a pastor, a reverend, don't forget, named Martin Luther King Jr. How about just in the past year? How about in this year, 2021? What is God doing in the church even now? Because I tell you what, in 500 years from now, some of y'all are like, no, Jesus come back way before that. <laughs> I hear you. I hear you. That's probably what they thought in 1000 AD too. What about 1021? There was one of those dates. 1021. What about in like 1521? What about 2021? Just give this to me, okay? Uh, if 500 years from now, when they look back at us, they're going to say, Look at all the sin for which the church is committing. Look at all the sin for which we are complicit. And look at all the sin for which we are complacent. So again, we'll extend grace and hope that in the future they extend grace to us as well. But in the process, we do need to keep growing. Right? Need to keep growing. Praise God, we collectively, even universally, are not who we used to be, but we're still not yet who we will be in Christ. Not just individually, but corporately and, and even universally. So in the meantime, we're going to need some partners in the gospel. People that can uh, be in our life and speaking truth to one another in love so that we might grow. And that's where Paul goes next. Time to grow. God's not done still need to grow. We must grow in what? We must abound, Paul says, in all love and truth. Verse eight, for God is my witness, Paul says, how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. I'm loving you as Christ Jesus loves you and my prayer for you is that your love as amazing as it is, the Philippian church, you know, loving and caring, send them a care package, right? But still, nonetheless, that your love may abound. That you would grow in your love more and more with all knowledge, excuse me, with knowledge and all discernment. So love and truth going hand in hand. Paul says, I love you so much, I want you to grow, I want you to mature in both your love and also in truth. You, you know, I think our culture, uh, by and large, has lost sight of this. Oftentimes, even in my generation, we want love without discernment. We want love to be separated from truth. But Paul here refuses for, to separate the two. He says, no, they must always be accompanied together. Love, abound more and more in love with all knowledge and all discernment. So we cannot abound one with the other. Otherwise, we're, we'll have truth, but no love. Or we'll have love, but no truth. Sadly, there's some churches that kind of go one way or the other. That church is very loving, but someone get them a Bible, right? And other churches are like, well, they got the Bible, but they don't seem to be living it, right? In their love for others. And our church, and I'm sure your church likewise, struggles with the same thing. To hold both love and truth together. 
You know, it was a couple years ago that my son even told me, I, I won't tell you which one, I have two, but, but, but once he said, uh, um, you spanked me because you don't love me. Like, oh. Anybody ever got that before? Um, I actually remember saying that to my mother, which was crazy. Now it's coming back to me. You spank me because you don't love me. I said, son, I promise you I love you and therefore I discipline you. I'm your father. And I, mu- and I must make sure that you're prepared for the real world. I must, be, I must make sure that you're prepared uh, for truth. Because the way you're right there, they're not going to accept that out in, in the real world. You get a lot worse than a spank. So you can see my discipline as a loving course correction. <laughs> Love does not just tell people what they want to hear, whispering to them and encouraging them to go in a path of destruction uh, until they fall off the face of a cliff. But no, instead, true love must not ignore truth. We would agree with that. The most loving thing that we can do is be truthful with one another. But we don't get too lopsided on truth. (laughs) You see, love is patient. And love is kind. I mean, just look at how patient God was to lead you and me to truth. Right? Man, his his long-suffering and loving kindness is unmatched. How he displays both perfect love and truth. Therefore, brothers and sisters, what God has joined together in love and, tr- and truth, let no man separate. We're not called to be Christians uh, with all heart and no brain, but neither are we called to be heartless brainiacs. Amen? How then can we grow in perfect love and discernment by becoming more like Jesus? I could have asked the Sunday school then, they would have got that right, right? By becoming more like Jesus, full of grace and truth, perfect love, abounding in love with all knowledge and all discernment, that we would continue to grow more into the, the, the image of Christ by the grace of God until we see him face to face. And that's where Paul leaves us in verse 10 and 11. All of this, may you abound, may, may you work and do, uh, do gospel ministry together. Paul went about with one another, speaking truth in love to one another so that you might grow and abound in, in the grace of God given to you and not just to you, but through you to another. All this so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless on the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and the praise of God. What a beautiful place to end this morning. Face to face with Jesus, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through King Jesus. You see, not only are we imputed and given the righteousness of Christ, We are so filled with his righteousness that it bears fruit into the world. Through us into the world. To the glory of God and to the good of others. So may we therefore go forth into this world. Partnering together. Side by side 
for the faith, praying for one another, thanking God for one another as partakers of his grace. We will see our faithful God. It is his work, our faithful God changing us, transforming us day by day, year by year, more into the image of Christ, both individually and as a church corporately and as a partnership of churches collectively and for our children's children generationally so that we might see the grace of God transform not only us but our neighbors, our nation, and our world. Amen? Let's pray. Father God, we, we thank you for the grace that you pour out upon us day by day, year by year. God, we thank you for your son Jesus who intervened in our life, who sent us on a loving course correction by the gospel. And Lord, even through faithful partners in the gospel. Lord, for when we were baptized, we were baptized not only into you, but into a local church. And Lord, what a blessing our, our church has been to us. What a blessing it is to have brothers and sisters around us that, that faithfully do ministry together, that, that labor side by side together, and, and, and that encourage us and care for us. And both love us and speak truth to us in love. Lord, thank you for people who love us and help us to grow more into your image. And God, I pray that our love would abound more and more, not only for one another, uh, but for those even outside the church, so that they might experience, Lord, the gospel at work, not only in our four walls, but throughout our world. In Jesus' name, we pray. Amen.